Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 7. We'll give you a little assurance that this is an introductory sermon to this, chap- to this chapter today. I just want to introduce it, and I specifically chose to go short because I knew we had a lot going on. So don't get nervous about starving to death or anything before the sermon is over, all right? Uh, yeah, so I've, I put your minds at ease, I hope. Romans 7 is perhaps one of the best known and one of the most controversial chapters in all the Bible, especially, uh, especially in all of Romans. Paul talks about some issues here about the law, and he, he deals with it in such a way that sometimes leaves us scratching our heads, to be quite honest, the way he, he contrasts and compares and, and does other things. But it's a very important chapter because it really is talking about the essence of our sanctification and the essence of our freedom from the law. We've looked at over the last several months, really, in talking with chapters 5 and 6, and we've seen that, that, that God has really done a, an unbelievable work in bringing about this salvation, this justification, this, this work of grace within our lives. We, we saw that uh, really in the first great privilege of the believer is peace with God. And in Romans 5, 1 through 19, Paul lays that out so clearly that those who are in Christ have peace with God. That there, is a, there had been a war, there had been an enmity between man and God. And because of the work of grace, the work of Christ in our life, that war has been settled. There is no longer any battle. It is now the believer has peace with God. That is a great privilege for the Christian. Second thing he talked about was in, in chapter 5, verse 20 through six twenty-three, which we've just finished is he talked about the fact that not only do we have peace with God, but now we have union with Christ. That is, we are together with Christ. We are made one with Christ. We have been baptized into His death and raised into His resurrection, that, that we, have, we have peace with God, we have union with Christ, and that is a tremendous part of what the Christian life is all about. In chapter 7, through really verse 8, chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is going to lay out the third great privilege of the believer, and that is freedom from the law. Freedom from the law. Now, the reason it sometimes is controversial is because what in the world does that mean? Uh, you have people who uh, look at this several different ways. The, the legalist will say, we are, we are not free from the law, we are bound by the law, we must obey the law to the best of our ability, we must try hard, we must strive hard, we, we keep the law. And our, our value in God's eyes and our value in this world is wrapped up in the fact that we have, have been able to keep some of the law. And you know legalists, there are those who say that if you don't live up to this standard, and sometimes it's their standard for you, then, then you can't be right with God, you can't do this, or you can't do that, or you must do this, you must do that. You have to kind of keep this, this corpus of, of laws in place in order to, to be, have, be in a relationship with God. And, and so Paul is going to show us that, no, we are not to be legalists like the Pharisees were. We are not under the law. We're not in bondage to the law anymore. We have been, Paul says over and over, freed from the law. But then on the other hand, you've got the antinomian, sometimes, known, uh, sometimes called uh, the, uh, the libertine. 
And the antinomian or the libertine says, yes, praise God, we're free from the law, man. We can do whatever we want. We, we've got grace, and, and where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So, brother, let's go out and sin so God can show us more grace. I mean, there's that, that idea of antinomianism. There is no law. They completely reject the law of God. And they are just as much in error on one side as the legalist is on the other side. Then there's what we might call the law-abiding believer. Paul is going to show us the balance here in chapter 7 and beyond. What it means to walk in the Spirit, as the, as the passage from Galatians that, that Pastor Todd read earlier. What it means to walk in the Spirit, knowing that as the New Covenant says, no longer are the laws an external thing that we have to work to try to, to obey in order to be right with God. But now the, the New Covenant says, the law is written on our hearts and written on our minds. And, and that's, just a, that's just a way of saying the Holy Spirit now empowers us to be obedient, to do what we never could do. Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 8, we'll get to that later in verse 3, that, that the law is weak and the law cannot accomplish sanctification. The law cannot accomplish justification in your life. You cannot be made right with God on the basis of the law. Paul makes that clear, but he says, thanks be to God, what the law could not do through its weakness, God did through grace and through the power of His Word. So you got really those three categories we're going to try to figure out through this. And you, if you don't understand the clarity of what Paul is saying, if you don't understand what he means when he says, you are free from the law, but yet the law of God is good. He says that. He says, you're, you're free from the law. You're no longer in bondage to the law. But, but does that mean the law of God is bad? Heavens, no. The law of God is good. So you've got to be sure you understand what he's meaning in that balancing phrase, balancing phrases that he's talking about the law. In other words, you've got to be sure you know what he's talking about. We, we had the joy this past week of having our middle child visit with us for a few days, uh, Anna. And she was here during the week, and, and Retta reminded me Friday night of something that, that happened years ago when I was pastoring in Stone Mountain, when Robbie was one of those little kids. And, and she was in, I think it was Sunbeams, or either early GAs, I can't remember, but they were studying about a country as they did in missions, they studied about the country, and they talked about the people, and they talked about what they did there. And, and one, of the, one of the teachers was going along, talking about their main agricultural products, and they said, the, the teacher said, oh, one of their main products of, of resource is tobacco. And little Anna, five, six, whatever, she said, oh, my dad loves tobacco. <laughs> I think there was a glean in the teacher's eyes that they thought, hey, we're going to get some dirt on the preacher here. We're going to learn something about it. My dad loves tobacco. And they said, oh, really? Well, how does your dad use tobacco? I don't know if I chewed it or smoked it or, or what I did with it. And she said, oh, he puts it in his soup and he puts it on eggs. and he the, Tabasco is what she remembered. But it sounded an awful lot alike. If we're not careful here, if we're not real careful here, we will hear Paul saying, you have been set free from the law, you're no longer under bondage to the law, you now have freedom of grace, you have now freedom in Christ, and the law of God is totally eradicated. Paul is not saying that. If you're not careful here, you'll say, well, then if the law is good, as Paul says the law is good, 
then I've got I to strive, I've got to obey it, I've got to try hard because God's not going to love me if I don't obey His law perfectly. Which Paul says we can't do. We are bound in our own, we're bound in our own humanness to not be able in our own strength to obey the law. But thanks be to God, He didn't leave us there in our own strength. And I said all that by way of introduction, but that's the bulk of the sermon. So you, you can rest easy in that. Look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, He's speaking to Roman Christians who were coming mainly out of Judaism, a lot of them. They knew the law. I, I, do you not know, brothers? Are, are you ignorant, brothers, is basically what he's saying. I'm speaking to you who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Now, understand something here. Paul is not thinking about teach, a teaching on divorce and remarriage and all that in this passage. He does it other places. But here that's not his concern. His concern is to show that death brings an end to the, the slavery of the law. Okay? We'll talk about that later if we get into it a little further. But, when, but, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from, the law, from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way, in the new way of the Spirit and not of the old way of the written code. This is the word of our Lord. That can be confusing. As you hear that read and hear Paul say, listen, we've died to the law, in order that we may be alive to another master, to another spouse. I, I title this, uh, this sermon, Marital Union with Christ, because he shows the picture of the marital union as being the picture of this union with Christ that we now experience. And that's an important thing to see. Our vows that we make in our marriage are similar to our vows that we make to our Lord in the salvation, in the baptismal vows and baptismal covenant that is made for every believer. And, and Paul says, I want you to understand this. As long as you are alive, you are bound by the law. When you leave out of here this morning, or in just a little bit, and, and you decide to go home, you decide, you know, there's something I really want to do when I get home, and I want to do it so bad, I'm just going to put the... the I'm going to put the foot on the accelerator as hard as it will go, and I'm going to, I'm going to go 90 miles an hour down, down, uh, down Highway 30, uh, 39. Now, many people do that, but it's against the law. And if a policeman clocks you on that, they're going to pull you over, and they're going to say, you have violated the law. You are responsible to obey this law. And, and if you say, oh, but wait, I don't believe in that law, they're going to say, I don't care whether you believe in it or not. It's the law. And you're bound by it, and you have to obey it, and you have to do it because it is the law. But now, if you're 
driving down 39, doing 90 miles an hour, and you hit a tree and you die, you're freed from it. You'll never have to obey that law again. You'll never have to think about that law again. Because you'll be dead. Here's the point I'm trying to make. The point is that while we are alive, the law of God is good and righteous and important, but we're not bound by it in the sense of being slaves to it. Paul says, don't you know that when, when, when you die in Christ, which he talked about in, in chapter 6 very clearly, when you die, you're like that, that wife who is now freed for, to, from, from her law of marriage in order to be united with another person. Now that you have died with Christ, even though that's where the analogy breaks down. So you can't, it's really not an analogy, it's an illustration. We try to make an analogy out of this, we run into all sorts of problems. Because he says, you died, and now you're free to be reunited to another one. That, that, that doesn't, doesn't mix. I mean, if you're dead, you're not going to be married to somebody else, right? Just like you're not going to be obeying the speed laws anymore. You're, you're, you're dead. But he's saying, listen, here's, here's the illustration I'm trying to make. When you spiritually died with Christ on the cross, and, and he applied that death to your life through, through justification and salvation, then I want you to know you're no longer having to walk around and say, oh man, this law and that law, I've got to obey this. You know, because the Jews that Paul was talking to had expanded the laws far beyond the Ten Commandments. And they found all ways to get around it. They were really good legalists. They couldn't travel but so far from their home. So on, on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day. So the day before they would take items out of their home and they would go and place them just that, just short of that distance. And then they'd go a little bit further and place something else just short of that distance. And, and so then they could, could walk a long way because every time they came to something that was part of their home, they, they hadn't st- gone that far from home, okay? I mean, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. But what Paul is saying here is something miraculous has taken place in your life if you are in Christ. You don't have to be a legalist. You certainly can't be an antinomian. You can't say what God says doesn't matter anymore because I'm saved by grace. You can't say I'm not called to a life of wholeness. Matter of fact, what we're going to find out in in chapter 7 is we're going to have what what, uh, John R.W. Stott called the the victory secret for the believer in in, in Romans chapter 7. Stott said, this is where the essence of what it means to walk in Christ is. And this chapter is is going to deal with three different things. These first six verses, he's talking about that the law no longer has lordship over you. So you won't bear fruit. Pastor Todd read that passage from Galatians, which here Paul talks about the fruit of death or the fruit of flesh. In Galatians, he delineates a lot of it. You won't bear the fruit of death or the fruit of the flesh that, that looks like something totally opposite from what the truth of God is because it is totally opposite from the truth of God. But you'll be able to bear the fruit of the Spirit, the spiritual fruit that comes from abiding in Christ and Christ working His life and working His will out in your life. He says, I want you to know, you, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may now belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead. It's another way of saying that in His death and burial and resurrection, you have been bought and paid for by God Himself. You now belong to Him. 
You're now not trying to live out the law in your own strength. Yes, you will obey Christ. You'll obey the law of Christ. Even though we, don't, we typically not, don't like to use that terminology, but, but we have the law of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, I know we don't do that well. We don't do that perfectly. Sometimes we do it very poorly. But that's what God has called us to by the indwelling of His Spirit within us, by the, by the presence of Christ within us to work out His work in our life. And when Christ is at work, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., all those other things Paul lists, when, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, all you're seeing there is the fruit of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ who is indwelling you and is who, who is working Himself out in your life. It's like John 15, we looked at, I talked about last week. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. But if you're cut off from me, there'll be no fruit. There is no fruit except fruit of the flesh. So, so Paul is emphasizing what Jesus said here in John 15 and kind of giving a foretaste of what he talks about in Galatians chapter 5 that, that Todd read, that, that there is this work within a believer. There is this truth within a believer that must be understood and must be held to. And in these first six verses, he's just saying, listen, you have been delivered from the tyranny of death by Christ. You have been delivered from the tyranny of the law by Christ. You now serve a new master. He talks about we're doulases, we're slaves of Christ, bought by him, owned by him, but all for our good and for our growth. In, in verses 7 through 13, Paul is going to talk about what it means where he defends the law against unjust criticisms of those who just like to get rid of it altogether, who would blame the law on man's sorry state of sin and also on death, who would say, well, if they hadn't given the law, there never would have been any, any death and sin. It must be God's fault anyway. Remember Eve in the garden? When, when, uh, when God said, don't eat of this fruit, do not eat of this tree, whatever you do, eat anything you want in the garden, but do not eat the fruit of this tree. Don't do it. How many times do you have to say it? They did it. Well, the law made it more appealing. Don't, don't touch that hot stove, sweetheart. It will burn you. Surely it won't really burn me. Yeah! You know, when the law is in tyranny over us, it leads us to do what God tells us not to. It is an impetus, if you will, because we are just wired that way in our human nature, in our sinful nature, that, that we see the law and we want to break it. Drive 90 miles an hour down Highway 39. And then in the last part, verses 14 through Eight, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 4, he's going to describe this inner conflict that takes place. And he's going to give the solution to that conflict for the believer. I'll leave you hanging on that one. But, but that's one of the places where a lot of controversy comes about. Is Paul talking about himself before he became a Christian, the struggles he had, 
Or is he talking about himself after he became a believer, after he's been set free from the tyranny of the law, after he's been made alive in Christ, after he's been given union with Christ, after he's made peace with God? Is that struggle that he's talking about the struggle that he still encounters? Or is it something that happened before he came to Christ? Spoiler alert, it's what happens in the believer's life, not in the unbeliever's life. And we'll we'll break that out and we'll break that down as we see it. But what Paul wants us to see and what Paul wants us to understand here in these opening verses is simply that, that the legalist is wrong and the antinomian is wrong, but there is a balance in the Christian life of the believer who says, I love the law of God. Paul says, I love God's law. I love it not because I can keep it myself, but I love it because it shows me the character of God. It shows me the beauty of God. It shows me what it means to walk with Him and be like Him. It shows me it shows me how much He really loves me. You know, we tend to look at the law and say, well, God's just a cosmic killjoy. God just wants to take away all the fun. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't do all that. Just... You know, it takes all the fun out of life, doesn't it? We are perpetual liars as humans for the most part. Now he says, don't do it. Not to take away your joy. Not to take away your happiness. Not to take away your peace. It's to show us where the real source of that is. And when we find that it is in Christ who lives the law, obeys the law to its fullest, And it's in Christ who has now taken us and clothed us in His righteousness, that righteousness that obeyed the law to the total perfection. And now we benefit by it, by being set free from that law because He obeyed it in our place for all who believe. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, You know the law, you understand the Ten Commandments, and you know the law is binding if a person's alive, whether it's the the civil law or the the religious law or, or whatever law it might be. It's binding on one as long as they live. But when you die in Christ, when you die with Christ, there's a whole new relationship to the law that becomes reality doesn't destroy it. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And in the believer's life, when they come to faith in Christ and truly trust Christ, there is a fulfillment of that law in your life that Jesus came to do. And it sets you free to walk with Him. It sets you free not to live in the tyranny of the, of, of the deeds of the flesh although those deeds may still really put a strong hold on your life, even though they may still call out to you and say, Obey me, obey me, do me, do me. The Spirit of Christ is living within to say, No, I cannot obey that. I cannot follow that because Christ dwells in me and Christ gives me the strength to say no. It really is a choice, folks, for the believer. For the unbeliever, they don't have but one choice, to be disobedient, to follow the sin. They do. Even in their philanthropy, even in their, in their 
good deeds, they are disobeying Christ because they're not a motives that aren't what they should be. They're not doing it to glorify God. They're doing it to glorify self, which is a very self-centered, narcissistic kind of thing. But when we are in Christ, we have a choice. We're going to walk in the Spirit, or we're going to say, no, I still really want a part of the flesh to rule my life. And what Paul is going to teach us in Romans chapter 7 It's that the power of the gospel is greater than any power in this world. And the power of the gospel, if you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, the power of the gospel is the strongest power you will ever know in your life. Believe it. Abide in it. Walk in Him, not in yourself. Let's pray.